You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. Good morning, Radiant Church. Hope you're feeling well this morning. If you're new, welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Marco, and I am the lead pastor here. Thank you so much for making Radiant a part of your weekend, and welcome those of you who are watching online as well. Well, listen, we are in the middle of a message series that we've entitled Living Free, Finding Freedom in Christ. And we're spending several weeks on this idea, this thought that's found in Scripture about living free in Jesus Christ. And we're dealing with what the Bible calls in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number one, the King James Version calls it besetting sins. Now, what are besetting sins? Like a lot of us, we don't use that terminology anymore. Besetting sins are really the the patterns, uh, sinful patterns, the, the destructive habits, destructive ways that we even think about ourselves and think of other people that we so often wrestle with on a regular or a continual basis in it. Jesus came to set us free from habitual sin or or destructive thought patterns or the habits that just really ruin our lives. His, His will for our lives is that we might live as free people in Jesus. And this morning what I want to do is I want to lean into this topic of spiritual warfare or spiritual conflict. And I want to just talk about what do you think about when you hear that term, when you hear that phrase, spiritual war or spiritual conflict. And what I want to do this morning is I really, truly want us to build, continue building an understanding of, of what the Bible means when it, when it comes to those things. And we're going to build a theology of spiritual warfare. We have a lot of content to cover this morning. I have a lot of teaching to do it, okay? Uh, it's going to be a great morning. First service was a riot, but it's going to be a great second service, I know. So listen, let's pray together, and then we're going to dive into Ephesians chapter 2. If you have a Bible, we're going to go there in a few more moments, but let's pray together because we're going to need the Holy Spirit's power, okay, to hear some of these words, to receive them, and to apply them to our own lives and hearts today. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. Um, We thank you for just the time in your presence we've already had in worship, Lord. Thank you, God, that you are even setting people free right now, God, as we speak. And so, God, I ask that you would just come, and by the power of your presence and your spirit today, that you would come and bind up the brokenhearted, come and heal some of our hearts who have been wounded or lives have been shattered or torn and tattered. Come and open blind eyes, come and unlock some of our deaf ears, because I know that we have physical ears, but we need a spiritual ear if we're actually going to hear you today. And come and soften some of our hardened hearts, because maybe we walked in with a hardened heart, like, what am I doing in church? This is not what I signed up for. So, Holy Spirit, would you come and soften some of our hardened hearts, God, so that we can hear you, so that we can encounter you today, Lord. And We pray, as we've been praying this entire series, um, Lord, just break chains off today. Just set people free. Lord, you love your church. You love your church so much that you sent Jesus to die for her. And so, Lord, come and just 
set captives free as you always do, for we know this is your will. We pray this in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, amen, amen. Well, listen, when we, um, when we talk about, when we think about this phrase, spiritual conflict or spiritual warfare, I want you to know that the Bible tells us that warfare is carried out on three fronts. So a lot of times when you mention like spiritual warfare to Christians, what they often think about is the devil. Oh man, we get the devil's after me, or we gotta beat up the devil, the dang demon, right? And yes, that's part of it, okay? But really, the Bible talks about spiritual warfare being carried out on three different fronts. Think about the military. The military engages in warfare on three fronts, right? Uh, land, sea, and air. Now, it's similar when it comes to spiritual warfare. I want to give you those three fronts, and I think these are important. Now, listen, I've said some of this before, but it all bears repeating. I promise you this, okay? Here are the three fronts. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. These are the three ways the enemy engages in warfare. And sometimes these three things have been called the unholy trinity. We are, most of us anyways, are familiar with the trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. But this is what some scholars will call the unholy trinity. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And what I want to do this morning is I want to open up God's Word and we're going to play a little game. We're going to see, can we find these three words in this particular text written by a man named Paul? It was a letter to a church in Ephesus. So if you have a Bible, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 2, and I want us to read the first three verses. And let me make a quick plug for uh, some of the Bibles that we have in the back. So if you come to church and you don't have a Bible and you want a Bible to engage with, just grab a Bible on your way in. There's a rack in the back. We just bought brand new Bibles. If you don't have a Bible and you need one, we'll just take it with you. It's our gift to you, okay? Yeah, praise God, right? Yeah. All right. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. Here's what Paul writes. He says, as for you, he's writing to Christians, by the way. He's writing to us today. As for you, you were dead, past tense, right? You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. There we go. First word shows up. Ding, 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 ding. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, which, by the way, is the devil. Okay, so there's our second word there. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Let's just pause there for a moment. Who is at work in those who are disobedient to God's law, God's word? The devil. The devil. This is very telling, by the way. And we'll get to that. We'll get to more of that in a few more moments. Verse number three. He says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our... Flesh, there's the other word, number three, yes, we've got them all. And following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. We deserved, outside of Christ, what we deserve, what you and I deserve is the wrath of God. So that's very offensive to our Western world of think, Western worldview today, but it's what the Bible preaches actually, is that contrary or outside of Christ, what we actually deserve is not his love, is the wrath of God. And you're like, that's craziness. Why? 
Well, because we've all rebelled, we've broken God's law, and it's this idea of Adam and Eve in the garden first rebelled, and they passed that down to all of humanity, okay? So outside of Christ, we cannot get to God. What we need is someone who goes between us, between us and God, and that is Jesus. And Jesus was the one who lived a life that we couldn't live. How is that? A life without sin. He died the death that you and I deserved, which is death on the cross. And so our righteousness or right standing with God, listen, only comes through faith or trust in Jesus. It doesn't come from trusting myself. I can get to heaven if I'm just good enough because a lot of people believe that if I just do enough good deeds. No, listen, our righteousness only comes by trusting in Jesus who did the work for us. Now, this was not in my notes. I just felt compelled by the Spirit of God to give the gospel because I strongly sense that some of you need that this morning. You need a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus, and that's it. That Jesus makes a way where there is no way. But let's talk about these three fronts, right? The world, the flesh, the devil. Let's talk about the first one, the world. Paul says the ways of this world. Interesting term there. Now, when Paul says the world, Paul does not refer to, like, the physical world. You know what I mean? Like trees and, you know, like, like a globe. He's not talking about that. In fact, John uses this word a lot. John is another writer of the New Testament. And the word world shows up in the New Testament 186 times. That's amazing, right? Now, here's what this word mostly means. It is referring to the human systems that operate in ungodly ways. The world refers to human systems that operate in ungodly ways. Okay. Let me break that down for you. When the Bible talks about the world, the Bible is referring to ideologies, patterns of thinking, agendas, narratives that are apart from and contrary to the Word of God. These are the ways of the world. Let me be even more specific, because a lot of times these narratives, these agendas, they are being, all of us are subject to it because we live in the world, of course. We're all being fed a message on a regular basis, by the way, like every day, 24 hours a day, a message, a narrative that is contrary to God's word, contrary to Christ, against Christ. And, and most of the time, these messages are being distributed, given to the masses through big tech, right, social media, uh, um, government, right, even education. And let me be even more specific, okay? Um, these are things such as identity politics, okay, wokeism, you may have heard, heard that term. All those things are ways of the world. The world is influencing every single person on the planet. Let's go to our second thing, the flesh. The flesh doesn't just mean like blood and organs and, you know, sinew, muscle tissue. That's not what the flesh means when we read it in the New Testament. The flesh is the Greek word sarx, S-A-R-X, if we were to transliterate it. And the flesh is this. The flesh refers to our sinful nature or the animalistic cravings of our body apart from God. Apart from God. Okay, we all have... The flesh, we are all in the flesh, okay? It's our sinful nature. Now, it's been passed down, again, 
from Adam and Eve's rebellion in the garden. Each of us have a sinful nature. Here's kind of the bottom line. The bottom line is this, is that we love to do things that violate God's law, okay? Like, that's just part of our nature. Some of you remember Paul in Romans chapter 7. If you don't know Romans chapter 7, just go back to it at a future time. Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about this wrestling match that he's having with the law that is at work within him, which is the law of death, the sin in him is abounding. And Paul basically says this, man, the things that I want to do that I, know, that I know I should do, I find myself doing the opposite. Like, I should be nice. I shouldn't be such a jerk, but here I am being rude again to this lady at the counter, like just ordering, you know, fast food. I should be merciful, but I can be very unmerciful. I should not say these curse words, but here I am dropping these certain bombs, right? And I'm doing the things that I know I shouldn't be doing, but here I am once again doing them. In the New Testament, Paul says this. Paul says, here's what you need to do. Here's what you and I all need to do, is we need to put off the old man. Now, who's the old man? It's like a, with gray hair, that's not what he means. He's talking about who we used to be before Jesus, before we gave our lives to Jesus, before we surrendered our hearts and our everything to Jesus, is the old man, the old person. We need to put off the old person and put on the new man. It's like actually putting on a coat, like putting on shoes or pants in the morning. Think of it in the same way. We put on the new person who is being renewed in Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? So Colossians, an amazing book of the Bible, Paul says this, put on love, put on peace, put on patience, put on compassion. Why? Because I don't know about you, but I'm not naturally, naturally compassionate. Some of you are. I'm not. I'm not naturally merciful. So Paul says, I don't care. You're in Jesus. Put those things on. Put love on, right? It binds all these things together. And what we should be doing is crucifying or putting to death our old ways, walking in the newness of who Jesus is, okay? Finally, so we've covered the world. We've covered the flesh. Let's cover the devil. Who is this guy? Well, Paul refers to the devil, and he calls him the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Very interesting title there, isn't it? The devil, of course, is a fallen angel who has turned against God. And the word that Paul uses often in the New Testament, we see, is the word diabolos. Diabolos. And that is a verbal root. And here's what it means. It means to slander or to accuse. So let me just give you three titles that Satan has in the Bible. The first one is the accuser. It shows up in Revelation chapter 12, verse number 10, the accuser. Here's what Satan loves to do. Satan loves to magnify all of your bad points, all of the things that you've done wrong, all of your mistakes, all of the ways that you don't add up. Why does he do that? Because Satan wants you to feel full of shame. He wants you to feel unworthy of God's love. He wants you to feel like a complete loser, to be honest with you. How many of you have ever had a day where you just feel like those voices that tell you you're not good enough, you're not adding up, you're a terrible mother, you're a terrible parent, you've done too many things wrong, you've made all these mistakes, you're such, you're so hideous. If you were to just kill yourself, nobody would even care. Have you ever had a day like that where it seems like those voices are elevated? Now, you don't have to raise your hand because maybe you're not willing to share that much, and that's okay, but I think all of us have. 
My friends, today, let me just tell you, that's not just your consciousness. That is an attack from the evil one. Why? Because he's a slanderer. He is the accuser. Why does he do this? Because he knows that if God's people, if all of us, listen, if, if we continue to walk with shame, with guilt, with condemnation, feeling like we are unworthy of love, we will never rise up to live a victorious life. We will always be slouched down inward, right? Licking our wounds and blaming everyone else and licking our, you know, just blaming and being bitter and doing nothing with our lives. And many people in our world do that. They just complain, they grumble, they become bitter, and they do nothing. And so Satan loves it when that happens because he's got the victory in that case. Let me give you another title. The Bible calls him a liar. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, right? John chapter 8, he is the father of lies. Jesus said there is no truth in him. So here's what this means. This means that one of the primary tactics Satan has is that of deception. He loves to deceive people. He loves to deceive Christians, okay? We can deceive ourselves. We don't really need a whole lot of help with that. <laughs> he loves this. Satan is a liar. One last title. Satan is also called the tempter. The tempter. Satan entices people to do wrong, to do evil, to do evil things. But here's how he does it. He entices people by making it look good like making it desirable and pleasurable and that it will bring us reward, it will feel good, it will be great, it'll, it'll be all of our dreams coming true. So he, he entices us to do evil. He does all of this in an effort to what? So that we can disobey God. He wants us to be out of alignment, or we should say this, out of the will of our Father in heaven, right, of God. So Satan is a tempter. He will place things before you to get you to disobey God, okay? So the flesh, the devil, the world. Guess what? Everyone is in a battle with these things every day. And maybe you're here this morning and you're like, well, I don't believe that. This is, this is stupid. I don't even know why I'm at church today. Well, it doesn't matter because you're still in the battle. Whether you believe it or not, this is true. This is truth, okay? We are in a spiritual battle. And here's the thing, you guys. What Paul's trying to say when he writes all these things is Paul is wanting us to see that there's a war happening behind the war. There's a war happening behind the war, okay? So you and I, okay, you and I, here's what we experience from a day-to-day -day basis. We experience conflict, amen? How many of you have ever had just a good old knockdown, drag down fight with your spouse? Anybody in here, right? A few times? Most of you, no, no. You're holy, you're amazing, wow. They signed up for your marriage class that you'll teach next semester, hopefully here. Talk to Pastor Marcus. Because you never argue with your spouse, you're just living in a perfect world, right? Most of us, though, listen, we experience conflict, we experience strife, we experience um, disagreements, tensions, temptations, and in the church, you know what it is? It's divisions. If, 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 if the Lord can get me against a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ, if he's got the church defeated because then, guess what? Someone's going to leave the church, and then no, we're no longer on the same page. Okay, so that, those are the things that we experience on a day-to-day -day basis. But Paul would say this, 
wait a minute, stop, hold on, wait, there's actually something else going on behind the scenes that you cannot see. And so I'll say it like this, I've said it before, there's always something you can't see influencing what you can see. There's a war behind the war. Have you ever watched a military movie? I love military movies. On one end, there's the battle. It's like in the battlefield, like the soldiers, like, like you know, tanks and all that stuff. Uh, behind the scenes, there's all these, like, commanders and generals and higher-ups, and they're calling all the shots. So these higher-ups are what? Are influencing what happens on the battlefield. And so often in, in these military movies, you see these soldiers who are like, no, we're not going to do that. We, we got to do this, and we know where the battle's at. You have no idea what's happening down here. I need help right now, right? And, and, but behind the scenes, there are these commanders, and then behind them, there are what? Government officials pulling strings like a puppet, making things happen. There's something that you cannot see influencing what you can see. This is the idea of spiritual warfare, okay? Spiritual warfare. So we've covered the flesh, the world, the devil. Let's move on now. Second big thing I want you to understand today is this, is that the Bible tells us that there are only two kingdoms. So not three kingdoms, not seven kingdoms, and not 12 kingdoms, not 185 kingdoms, just two kingdoms. The kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. This is really elementary, really basic, but it's true. The kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness. 1 John 5, 19 says this, We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Leave that verse up there. Look behind me. Can you see the two different kingdoms in that verse? I see two. Here's the first one. Children of God, kingdom of light. And then he says this, the whole world. Who's that? Everyone else. <laughs> is under the control of the evil one. Here's what this means. This means this. This means that you're either in one kingdom or the other. You're either a participant in the kingdom of light or you're a participant in the kingdom of darkness. John smashes this idea with a giant hammer, by the way, of spiritual neutrality or middle ground. John's like, that's not how it works. There's no neutral ground. There's either you're in darkness or you're in the kingdom of light. Now listen, I get it. That's how you get to the No, it's, it's real. I, mean, I promise you. It's, it's kingdom of darkness, devil, kingdom of light, God. Two kingdoms, you're one or in the other, okay? To not serve God is to serve Satan, whether you're conscious of it or not. Okay. You ready for some grenades? Because some grenades are coming this morning. Marcus was right. Lord, help us receive the word. As a Christian, as a person filled with the Holy Spirit, here's our next big question. How much influence can the demonic have in my life? First service, it was like, ooh. You're a little disappointing, but it'll get... Thank you. Somewhat late, but I'll take it. All right, great question. So here's what we're going to do. Why don't we open up the Word of God. Luke chapter 13. And Luke 
Luke was a medical doctor by trade. The New Testament wrote one of the Gospels. We're going to go to Luke 13, and we're going to start in verse number 10. The words will be behind me, and I want you to notice I've had the media team um, underline certain phrases because they're so important, and they're, they're phrases that we are going to talk about, okay? How much, as a believer in Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, how much of the demonic, how much of darkness can be an influence in my life? That's the question that we're trying to answer. Verse number 10 is where we're going to pick it up. Luke 13, verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. Let's just pause there for a second. Synagogue was a place where Jews worship, and they would gather together, and they would hear and listen to um, the Torah, right? They would listen to, they would listen to the prophets being read. Uh, they would mostly probably have a, a, a time of communal prayer as well. And so they would come together. This was their worship. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit. Notice what the text tells us. Crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. He put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up, right? She's... She, she praised God. She probably had a Pentecostal moment just running, like, run, 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 in, run, 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 in. right? Just, I'm free. Like, I'm healed in Jesus' name. That, that's going to wake you up. I knew it would. Sometimes I got to eat extreme because, like, are you, you know what I mean? 14, indignant. Like, this is supposed to be a celebration, but there are those who are not happy with this woman being healed. Can you imagine that? Someone not being happy over someone getting healed. That's crazy, isn't it? But the Bible says that religious people are not happy when God does a breakthrough. Woo! I'm just going to leave that one there. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work. He's just following the law like a good Jew. So come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. In other words, how dare you get healed on the Sabbath? The Lord answered him, You hypocrites, you play actors, you, you, those of you who wear a mask on the outside, but inside you're rotting. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, that's a key phrase there actually, and then notice what Jesus says, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? And when he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. And so you have, on one side, you have this crowd of people that are like, yeah, woo like, go ahead, girl, get your healing on, girl, yeah. On the other side, the religious rule is like, she, it's the Sabbath. What is, what is he doing, right? You have like these two extremes in one picture. And I want you to notice, well, let me just say this actually first. I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse number 11 in the ESV Bible, the English uh, Standard Version, translates verse 11 as a disabling spirit. I think that's interesting. The RSV, which is a bit more old school, translates it as a spirit of infirmity. 
The text is very clear, and Jesus is very clear. This woman wasn't just crippled from natural causes. This woman was crippled because of a demon. A There's a spirit behind this woman's back problem. This begs the question now. This begs the question, was she a believer? Like, was she a devoted Jew? Because a lot of us would say, well, like, okay, like if she's not really a devoted Jew, I can see how, you know, of course, lost people can have demons, you know, definitely. They can manifest. It gets creepy, you know, like stuff coming out their mouths and eyes roll back and, you know, floating on top of a bed. I've seen all the movies, Marco, right? Unbelievers. Was she a believer? Was she a devout Jew? Was she a God-fearer? God-fearer is a category of uh, basically proselytes. These individuals were Gentiles who practiced all of the Jewish sort of, you know, uh, regimens and practiced Jewish law to the best of their ability. Now, Luke doesn't say it. Like, Luke doesn't tell us she's a God-fearer. I think, I think he would have because that phrase shows up, I believe, in Acts, which Luke also wrote. We find this woman where? Where is she at right now? The synagogue. It's usually those who are devout worship in the synagogue. Now, I know you're thinking, well, we don't really know that, Pastor Marco. Okay, fair enough, okay? Fair enough. So let's, let's do a, a little bit more in-depth work, okay? Notice Luke, he uses a phrase, and he says, daughter of Abraham. And that phrase, of Abraham, okay, shows up sometimes in the New Testament. And in this case, this is not an indication of her ethnic Jewishness. This is more of an indication of her salvation, of her being an actual believer. It's a salvific praise. In other words, it's not speaking of her Jewish ethnicity as much as it is to the fact that she's a genuine believer. Well, how do you know that? Good question. I believe, and I stole this from John Thompson, that this phrase, when Luke uses it, is speaking of salvation or salvific phrase. Because in Luke 19, remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was not a believer. He comes, he wants to see Jesus. Zacchaeus is a wee little man. Remember, he's in the tree. Jesus comes through. He puts his faith, his trust in Jesus. And then he says, you too, now a, a son of Abraham, after he puts his hope, his trust in Jesus. Acts 13, 26, Paul calls Jewish believers children of Abraham there. So I think when Luke uses it, it's more of this idea. It's not ethnic reality as much as, as it is a spiritual reality, that they're genuine believers. So this woman is a regular at the synagogue. She's been bound by 18 years by a spirit of what? Of infirmity. She has a medical condition caused by Satan. Now, this is not to say, let me just caveat this, and I'll come, I'll come back to this, don't worry. This is not to say that every sickness or disease is a result of a demon or of an evil spirit. We have to be clear on this. Very, very, very clear. So don't go, on around, go, go around playing Ghostbusters now with everybody, trying to cast demons out of everything, okay? Because I know the extra charismatic folk want to do that. Like you're just casting demons out of teddy bears and like toy fire trucks and you're 
Haruken, right? You're just like, doing Street Fighter moves on people. Like, resist the temptation, okay? So, not every disease, not every illness or issue is a demon. But, here's what it means. It means this. It certainly can be, and sometimes it is. So, here, let me give you more proof. And we're going to give you more proof from Luke. Luke chapter 4, verse 40 and 41. Notice this. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each of them, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. Hey, I mean, just look at the text here. You guys, I think it's very safe to assume that some of the sicknesses Luke tells us about here in chapter 4 was not just from natural causes, but from actual demons. Jesus healed many. Some of those sick people, demons came out of them. So back to the woman in Luke 13. By all appearances, and I'll leave it up to you to decide, it seems as if, as if this woman, she's in right standing with God, she's, she's in the synagogue, and yet she has a demon in her. What do we do with that? Kind of a grenade, I understand it. So the question is, can Christians be demonized? This is a big question. Big question, so let me just say this really quick. Some of you came from very conservative backgrounds. You were hardcore Baptist, you were Reformed, um, you know, whatever, I don't know. Just hardcore conservative Christian. Here's what I've discovered when it comes to this idea of spiritual warfare in different Christian circles. Circle number one, Reformed, Baptist, um, whatever other sort of very, very strict reform, um, conservative circle. They say this, now, impossible, impossible. The gospel has come on this person, just believe the truth, and you're all set, just go on your way. Just believe the truth, believe the truth. Go, 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 nothing to see, nothing to see. Now, you swing over all the way to the other side, and my, my extra charismatic friends, everything's a demon. Everything's harukin, right? Everything's a demon, and they're trying to slay demons all around them. And what we need, actually, is to be somewhere in the middle, and we need to acknowledge that, you know what? These guys over here, no, they're wrong. You know why they're wrong? Because if you just open the Bible, this right here, when you read it, it's crazy. Stuff happens. He shows you stuff. When you read it, and you show, and you read Genesis chapter 1, and you, I mean, you just read right away that there was chaos, there was darkness, and, and then the Spirit of God comes, and then there's order, and then he's bringing thing into things into existence. From the very opening pages of the Bible, there's spiritual warfare. All the way to the back to Revelation, there's spiritual warfare on every page. So my, my John MacArthur fans and, you know, Justin Peters and whoever, the ultra-conservatives, God bless them, but they're wrong. I'm sorry, but they're wrong. And then my friends over here, I love their enthusiasm. I love the passion. I love their zeal for Christ. But they need to just reel it in just a little bit, if you know what I'm saying. Just bring it in. And we need to come right in the middle. And the middle is filled of, what, spiritual disciplines and practices that help us walk out the gospel. So we need to be right here acknowledging, no, listen, there is a spiritual warfare, 
But John Thompson says this, that there's not a demon behind every bush, but there's probably a demon behind every third bush. So let me, let's define a few terms here, okay? Go ahead and put that slide up. When we think of the word possessed, and I'm talking us today, modern people, when, when we think of the word, oh, just turn that off. When we think of the word possessed, we think, I, I possess these. I possess these glasses. What, what am I saying when I say that? I own them. That's right. I own them. But when we read the New Testament and we read that word possessed, I think it's a bad translation. I think it should be demonized because that's more of the Greek word. Possessed in the Bible, when you, when you read your Bible, means to have, to be vexed, or tormented where? Internally. Internally. And then there's the other part, oppressed, because we've all heard this term. To be oppressed by the demonic is to what? It's to be tempted externally. Now, every Christian is oppressed from time to time. Every single Christian is oppressed from time to time. Every one of us, okay? So we've got to get this jargon straight so, because it helps us in understanding the biblical text in a theology of spiritual warfare. Here's what I'm trying to say to all of you this morning. You can be owned by Jesus and yet be demonized. You can be in Christ while having a demon. And I know some of you are like, ooh, ah, I don't know. I'm going to go back to my Baptist ways and I'm going to... I'm going to go read that. I'm going to go ask that different pastor. and He's going to tell you. No, just believe the gospel. You're fine. Believe the truth. You're protected. You're safe. And I'm telling you, your safety is not guaranteed. Your salvation is secure, but your safety is not guaranteed. You're probably asking the question, okay, Marco, uh, I see what you're trying to do. But how can a demon and the Holy Spirit inhabit the same space? The Holy Spirit is way more powerful. It's not possible. I don't see it happening. Let me just quote Sam Storms. He's a man much smarter than me, and he is a New Testament scholar. Here's what he writes in his book on spiritual warfare. He says this, You may also recall from the book of Job that Satan had access to the presence of God. Okay, they're in the same space, indicating that the issue is not one of spatial proximity, but of personal relationship. What does that mean? It means this. This is, this is less of an issue of can they inhabit the same space? Because they clearly can. And it's more of an issue of relationship, our relationship to what? To the darkness. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pose or propose a question to all of us this morning. Clearly Satan and, and God can occupy the same space. They do it in Job. They do it in the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness Satan walks up to Jesus. There's a temptation there. They're in the same space. They're inhabiting the same space. That is clearly able to happen. So here's the question we must ask now. What happens when a Christian, the believer, the person who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, opens a door to intrusion by a demon through willful, unrepentant sin or idolatry? What happens when the believer who's got the Holy Spirit opens the door by jumping into willful, unrepentant sin or idolatry. Let me phrase it this way. I'll ask it differently. What if a Christian yields to the flesh, the sinful nature, he grieves the Holy Spirit, wouldn't this open the door to demonic presence? The answer is yes, it would. Yes, it would. 
Now, to further make my point this morning, I'm going to borrow two terms from John Thompson, who's a pastor and a writer. And these two terms are this, upstairs theology and downstairs theology, okay? Upstairs theology is how God views you. If you're a fan of Ephesians, you should be. Ephesians chapter 1, well, actually Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, uh, for the most part, there's a lot of upstairs theology. What does that mean? Positionally, who you are in Christ. So Paul writes, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, over and over again, in Christ, you are seated in heavenly places. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Your salvation is secure. You're in Christ positionally. That's upstairs theology. That's how God views you. But then there's downstairs theology. And downstairs theology, listen, is how you work out the gospel in your everyday life through what we call sanctification. It's our journey of holiness, and we're all walking through this, and we all slip, and we all fall, we all stumble, but we're walking, we're moving forward, okay? Upstairs theology, how God views you. Downstairs theology, listen, it's all about this idea that we're walking out the gospel, that we're, again, putting away the old man, putting on the new man, who is what? Being renewed in Christ Jesus. So if you Read Ephesians. Ephesians is half upstairs theology, half downstairs theology. What do I mean? Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 is about how God views us, what God in Christ has done for us. Positionally, where are we? Seated with Christ, seated in heavenly places, secured, sealed by the Holy Spirit. And then chapters 4, 5, and 6, how do you walk this out now? How do you walk out the truth that we just read about? So there's two different ways that we can look at this. I want to let me prove it. Ephesians 4, 25 through 27. Ephesians 4, words will be behind me. Paul says this. Therefore, and he's talking to believers. He's talking to you and I. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, like lying or trying to be somebody that you're not, and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. And then he says this. In your anger, do not sin. Come on. How many of you all, maybe you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you all, you're just like, you're holy, you're righteous, you're singing hymns at home, worshiping to, to, to Hillsong or whatever it is in your car, but when you get angry, oh, snap. Oh, hell breaks loose. He says this, in your anger, do not sin, because Paul knew that our anger could potentially lead to sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And then he says this in verse 27. Listen, church. He says, do not give the devil a what? A foothold. Okay. Let's break it down even more. The word foothold, this is crazy. The word foothold is the Greek word topos. Topos. Now, topos is where we get topography. In most other places in the New Testament, topos means space or region. And so, I think perhaps it could mean all three here, or it really actually just means space. I think, in my opinion, Paul is saying this. If you don't get a hold of your anger, you are opening a door to the demonic. You're making, here it is, space for the demonic, and yet, and yet, and yet you're saved, and yet you're sealed until the day of redemption. Now, listen closely, church. A demon, a demonic being, will not own you. He won't own you but, you, but he will have impact on the inside of you. 
It's the idea of this house. And the house is owned by Jesus. Okay, or let's just say it's us. We own the house. We, we pay for the mortgage, okay? We have the, the title deed to the house. We live in the house. But there are open doors. There are open windows. And squatters have come in or thieves have come in. And they have inhabited certain rooms in the house. Who owns the house? You still own the house. I own the house. But in certain rooms, there is unwanted guests there. And Paul says this, listen, your anger problem becomes the door opening event. And it's not just your anger, it's what? It's bitterness, it's rage, it's malice, it's many other things, okay? So we're secure in our salvation, but we're not safe from demonic attack. Sam Storm says this, he says, simply being a Christian does not insulate us from potentially a devastating attack. Now, my friends in the very conservative circles, they would just say, no, you're fine, you're good, you've got the armor of God and you're safe, and nothing, never, there's never gonna be a demonic attack, right? So, but I don't see that as being the case when we read the pages of the Bible. Paul says that you can be possessed by Jesus, owned by Jesus is what I mean there, and yet demonized at the same time. This is not about salvation. This is an issue of what? Of sanctification and holiness, okay? Okay, church, let me go back to this. Big, big warning right now. Big warning. Again, let me come back. This, this doesn't mean, okay, again, this doesn't mean that every sickness, every ailment, every disease comes from a demon. We have to be clear on that. You must resist the temptation to try to cast or call everything a demon. Why? Because you can hurt a lot of people by doing that. You can tell people, you have a demon. And no, they don't have a demon, they just have a cold. <laughs> so we have to resist this. Or people will say, oh, Pastor Marco, the devil attacked me, I was late for work again. Well. Okay, maybe, but you also stayed up late last night watching House of Cards on Netflix, and you overslept, okay? So I'm not sure if that was a demonic attack. I think you just need more sleep and try not to stay up so late next time, right? We have to resist this idea. The reality, church, is this, is that there must be, there must be the hard work of processes, of things that happen in the middle where we walk with people, and I'm not talking about one moment, I'm talking about for a long time. We walk with people to figure out what's wrong. Because my charismatic friends, they want it to, my super charismatic friends, they just want it to be a demon. Why? Because you can cast a demon out and it's done, it's easy, it's over. Boom, boom, boom. Oh yeah, got it, boom, did my thing, right? But listen, so often it's much more than that. So much is just about really just walking with people and walking out our sanctification for years and years and years and choosing Jesus and choosing to put on compassion and love and patience and mercy and all those things that Paul talks about in the New Testament. It's not often so easy as just, I'm going to cast a demon out, right? So we've got those on one side who don't believe in spiritual warfare, those on the other side who get a little bit crazy, and we should be somewhere in the middle about walking with people through their sanctification. So here's the question, because I'm running out of time. I'm going to go fast, okay? Get ready. How does Satan get access to us then? That's a great question. How does Satan get access? Here we go. Number one, I'm going to fly through these. Habitual sin. Habitual sin is willful disobedience. We grieve the spirit and we give way to the flesh and we sort of dive into things that we know we shouldn't be doing. 
Okay, I think that's obvious. Number two, sexual encounter. Okay, when you have sex um, and you're not married and you give your body over to someone else. I know that sex is pleasurable, but young people, outside of covenant, it's not blessed. It brings you a lot of chaos and disorder in your life. Okay, so if you sleep with someone who has a demon, you're going to have a demon too. Let's keep going. Number three, family agreement. I feel like I could preach a sermon of each of these points. Number three, family agreement. Someone in your family of origin welcomed it. They invited it. Could be a curse, could be sin. Sometimes, listen church, sometimes our parents and grandparents, they invited things in we had no idea of. And you're like, so Grandpa Joe was doing what? Oh, Grandpa Joe was, oh, heck no. Oh, he was, he was like taking the whiskey down? Oh, that's why I'm so drawn to alcoholism. That's why I'm so prone to lust. That's why I'm, and you name it, right? So sometimes we have these family agreements we don't even know have existed. Number four is divination or witchcraft. The Bible is very explicit, okay, against this. The Bible is very clear. Okay, heresy, that, that, that's false teaching contrary to the word of God. False experiences. Let me just tell you right now, not, not every spiritual experience is from the Holy Spirit. You can have a spiritual experience that's from Satan. Some people say, I had a spiritual experience, and I were all my friends, and we were like, you know, around this Ouija board, oh, Pastor Mark, it was awesome. Ooh, wrong spirit. That's a demonic spirit. Not the Holy Spirit, okay? So let's be clear. Um, let's keep going. Spells and curses. Mediums. Fortune tellers. Uh, I, I would push it, and I know this is offensive, but whatever. Horoscopes. Be careful. Tarot cards. Secret societies. Right? Crystals. Why? 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 Come on. Come on, Pastor Marco. That's, nah, you're being silly. No, no, no. Listen. The idea is, is that you're trying to reach out to a power source that's not God. So God's like, don't do that. Because there's power there. And guess what? You're going you're gonna to experience something. It's just not the Holy Spirit. It's a demonic spirit. There's a spiritual experience. Oh, you sure will have a spiritual experience. Just not the right spirit, okay? Number five, trauma. Trauma. Trauma causes an opening wound in our soul. It's like an, it's like an open wound. And if it's left unattended to, just like we get an infection, right? If you have an open wound, the demon can hijack that. That's dirty. That's jacked up. But demons don't care. They're dirty like that. So if you've been raped, if you've gone through something traumatic, if sexual abuse, listen, that's a serious thing. And you've got to attend to that through therapy, through Christian counseling, through, right? There's a, there's a walk you have to, that's serious stuff right there. Let's keep going. Number six, unforgiveness, right? When you, when you stay in unforgiveness, bitterness festers in your heart, hatred. Jesus says when you hate someone, you murder them. Okay, we're almost done. I got to fly through these. What are some practical steps? I'm gonna give you practical steps, but when I give you these, these quick steps, I have to go through them really fast. But church, please, 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 oh, sorry. Please, 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 don't think of these as minimalistic. These are things that can take a lot of time walking in Christian community, okay? This is not like a, doom, 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 you're done, everything's good. Let's go through them. Take inventory of your life, number one. Take inventory of your life. Sit with the Holy Spirit and ask, are there patterns in my life? Do I keep dating crappy guys, right? Am I always ending up in these really terrible relationships? Do I always get sick when this happens? Is depression been a part of my family line for years and years and years? 
Was grandpa an alcoholic? Was so-and-so a pagan? Did they belong to the Freemasons? I mean, whatever it is, right? Take inventory of your life. Number two, um, ref- just continued reflection. Ask the Holy Spirit with a pastor, with somebody in community. Holy Spirit, how did this enter into my life, okay? Why can't you do this alone? Well, you could, but it's, if you do it alone, you're still hiding. You're still hiding. And that's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. You have to do it in Christian community because when you do it in community, you expose the darkness, okay? So do it in community. Three, confession and repentance. Confess your sin, all right? Uh, um, close any doors that may have unwillingly been opened. Again, this is community. Receive forgiveness. Have you ever sat with a friend, a trusted friend, and you confess a sin, and they did not judge you, they gave you mercy and grace? That's an opportunity for you to experience the grace of God. And guess what? It feels amazing. It feels awesome. It's like, oh, thank you for hearing me. Like, I'm not proud of what I did. But thank you. I get to experience the grace of God. You can feel that alone. It's just not nearly as effective. It's, not, it's, it's just not the same thing. Number four, releasing prayer. Sometimes you just have to instruct the demonic to leave. This is what we see in the Bible. A clear instruction for the demonic to leave. You must go in Jesus' name and never come back. That's the part that the conservative Christian circle doesn't get. That there are times, no, not every time, there are times where you have to command, spirit of fear, leave right now. You are not welcome in my house. Here's my conclusion. One last thing, one last slide. And I know I'm giving a lot to you, okay? So a lot of information, a lot of understanding, but hold with me. Allegiance, truth, and power. As we end today, three things I just want you to to see in here. Okay, allegiance. Here's what I want you to think about. Who does your allegiance belong to? To Satan or God? And there's no middle ground. And I know that's offensive, and you're like, ah, come on, you're making me pick? You already picked, dude. Is it Jesus or Satan? And if you're outside of Jesus, listen, and you're not a Christian, your first step is to what? To give your allegiance to Jesus, to confess and repent, and to come to Jesus, right? Truth, you need a truth encounter. You need, to be in, you need to encounter God's word, the truth. You need to examine your heart. Where have I believed a lie? This is not just one moment, this is a lifetime. This is something that you walk in continually. That maybe you walk in with a trusted Christian leader or an elder. Help me to understand the lies that I've believed for so long. And then you need a power encounter. Sometimes you need to just command the demonic to leave. And I would suggest in community, not just by yourself, but in community so that you can experience the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy of God in community, okay? Let me just say one last thing. Well, maybe a last couple things, okay? Number one, we have to remember, you don't have to be afraid. Number two, Jesus has already won your victory. I don't want you to leave afraid, and I don't want you to leave with the truth that Jesus has already disarmed authorities, empowers spiritual forces at the cross making a public spectacle of them this is colossians chapter 2 i think it's verse 15 you can read it yourself so we can have that victory the victory upstairs is already done but downstairs theology means that what it means that we need to begin to walk it out and own it and we also need to be responsible for what for any doors or windows that we may be opening to what demonic power or demonic influence in our lives. Prayer team is going to come up here in a few moments. Let me just pray for you. I know it's a heavy message. 
If you need prayer today, this might just begin a conversation. Jesus, we love you. As God's people, we thank you. And we stand on that truth this morning, God, that Jesus has won the victory. At the cross, Jesus disarmed powers and authorities. Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Thank you, Jesus, that you have the victory and that because you're victorious, we also too can have victory. Thank you, Jesus, that we don't have to be afraid because we are secure in you. Today, would you help us to examine our own lives, God? Make us conscious of the ways that we may have opened ourselves up to maybe of influence that is not of you, God. Lord, help us to walk out the gospel every single day, becoming holy, becoming more like Jesus every day. Today, we trust you, and we do this not in our own authority. God, we do this under the authority of Jesus Christ. What he's done, we recognize that Jesus has done all the hard work, and we are recipients of being in Christ today. So we walk out of here knowing those truths, not being afraid, and yet walking out our own salvation, walking that out, being sanctified day by day, drawing near to God, putting away the old man, and putting on the new man, being renewed in Jesus Christ. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's clap our hands this morning.